<laughs> Thank you for listening to Remake Rewind, the podcast where you decide if remakes or reboots should have happened. I'm Mike, and uh, with me today, I've got a special, and I really do mean special, guest host, Nick Gambino from Get to the Podcast. How are you doing, Nick? I'm good. I'm good. I, I feel like you really emphasize special in like a way. I'm like, is this guy slandering me right now? Like, is he being for real? It's a little bit of both. It's a little bit, a little of, bit both. of both. You know, I'll take it. I'll take it. I could dish it. I could take it. Good. Those of you guys who have been listening to the show for a while, uh, Nick has popped on before. He was on our uh, 10th episode, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Willy Wonka. Um, I've actually popped on their show uh, once to talk about Marvel movies. As everyone knows, I am a huge Marvel nerd, so pretty good friend of the show. And uh, we just, you know, as we uh, all know, Double D and Alex are taking a little bit of time off for the holidays. They work retail, unfortunately, so we didn't want to stop producing the show. So we got some guest hosts, and I'm really glad that... Nick's coming on, so thanks, Nick. Yeah, you're welcome. Here I am. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your podcast at the at the front, and I'll give you some soapbox time at the tail end as well. Okay, cool, good. Yeah, I um, host the podcast Get to the Podcast, which is a movie centric podcast with uh, two other guys, Tiago and Neil, and uh, we basically just shit talk. No, that's not really a good way of saying it. We um, discuss. It's a weekly episode, drops every Tuesday morning, and we basically talk movies, old, new. It usually ends up leading into uh, heated arguments. It can get pretty uh, intense, but you know, even though we 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 have a lot of vile towards each other, we always we're big movie lovers, so we always try not to rip apart and shred movies. We're not really about trashing movies. We're really about just uh, discussing them from a movie lover's viewpoint. And it's called uh, Get to the Podcast. Pretty good podcast. I listen to it every week. The only thing that's a little annoying is Neil doesn't like fun movies. Yeah, it's weird, right? He he's so cynical <laughs> in his old age. The guy's like ninety years old. Yeah. He's like, ah, he Marvel sucks. To, he finds a way to bring Marvel up every episode, even when it's not applicable. It makes me furious, but it makes me laugh every time. Yeah, and he also believes they faked the moon landing. So he's one of those guys. Does he really? He sure does. I, I hope he listens to oh this so that God. he hears me saying that. I'm really just saying that to bust his balls. But uh, yeah, that is now, ridiculous. I mean, here's the thing. If you go back to like the mo- movie hoods from our childhood, he uh, the movies from our childhood, he loves them. He loves Back to the Future. He loves Jurassic Park. Like He loves the old classic, you know, every nerd's dream kind of movies. But when it comes to like new Marvel movies, he's just like, eh, 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 yeah. what a, well, whatever. He's he's lame. Yeah. That's why he hasn't been on the show yet. That's what it just is. You and I Tiago. Know. I know. Got to get him on. <laughs> Yeah, eventually. I I keep meaning to, and then I don't I don't know why we have it. We have to because we've we've had everybody else on. We might as well have him. Yeah, he's fun. I think he's the strongest uh, voice on our show. That's what I think. But that's just me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's hard to tell when you're talking over everybody. I know. <laughs> I'm really terrible. <laughs> I am terrible. It's terrible right. for an audio podcast too to just be like yeah. hogging the mic. Yep. <laughs> All right, well, let's uh, get into it. So for this episode, I let you pick the movie. So what did what did we decide to talk about this week? Okay, so we're going to talk about um, one of my favorite movies and then the remakes of that movie. Um, you have Seven Samurai, which is a Kurosawa film from a uh, Japanese film from 54. And then it was remade in Hollywood in 1960 as a Western. And then remade in 2016, I believe, um, in Hollywood again, Denzel Washington, a bunch of other guys as Mag- Magnificent Seven. So those three movies. Yep. Cool. Do you have a summary to read for the first one? I could do that. Um, I'm totally going to jack and plagiarize on IMDb. All right. Um, here's one. So a veteran samurai who has fallen on hard times answers a village's request for protection from bandits. 
He gathers six other samurai to help him, and they teach the townspeople how to defend themselves, and they supply the samurai with three small meals a day. The film culminates in a giant battle when 40 bandits attack the village. So that's the less poetic summary. But uh, there you go. Can I freestyle a little summary real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Okay, good. So it's basically this movie is you have these samurai who are disgraced samurai who are requested by this small village of farmers who are going to be raided by bandits um, come harvest time. They go and they seek out these samurai amongst a bunch of disgraced samurai, and they find one key guy who brings six other samurai into the fold, and they um, agree to save this village from these 40 bandits. So it's really a bunch of incompetent farmers, seven samurai, 40 murderous rapist thieves, um, and this movie gets crazy. (laughs) Uh yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much right on the money. The yeah. thing that's interesting about this movie, and I can see why it's been remade so many times. In fact, there was another remake of this movie in like the eighties, um, called like The Lost Planet or Battle of the Stars or something like that. That's like a futuristic space version oh. of this this premise. So oh, it wow. is a really simple premise, and you know, it really does lead to being able to be remade in any time frame. They could go back and do this in the Civil War, they could go back and do this you know, King Arthur style, they can go into the future and do this. So it's it's one of those movies. Like it's kind of like a, a blueprint for a movie. It is. It's like the and 300 the story, really. It. It's like 300 in a way. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, it's different, but it's like that idea of like a small uh, number of, of warriors, like skilled warriors against a huge army. Right. And what I like about realistically every version, all three movies, I think they did a good job with making a force that's sufficiently difficult enough that it could overwhelm them but not so large that it is not believable that a, you know a well-trained group of soldiers could take them on so in this particular movie it was 40 soldiers that they were 40 bandits that they were going to be fighting right and they kept track of it they they had like a little tally every time they killed a bandit they tracked it down like okay so by the time they got to the final battle there was only something like 12 bandits left right kind of thing so I think that's impressive that you have seven people and you have, you know, hundreds of villagers that aren't trained, but you give them enough training, they, they'll they actually be able to overcome these trained bandits. So that's something that I did appreciate that, you know, unlike 300, where it's 300 men versus hundreds of thousands of people, right. you knew they were going to be defeated eventually. Like this seems feasible, Plausible. That, you know, done correctly, they could do it. Right, right. Um, it, so, And you watched this movie for the first time, right? Like, yeah, this so was... I, I actually hadn't seen any of the three movies that we're talking about today. Wow. That's crazy. And and I may have seen the 1960s one as a child and just don't remember it. I'm, I'm not really a big Western guy. Yeah. Okay. My dad liked Westerns, but I I was never really into them. Yeah, it's, it's very much uh, a niche. In fact, really the only... Yeah. Like, the only Western that I've really liked, like, truly liked, was the uh, Coen Brothers True Grit. Mm. I loved that movie. And 310 to Yuma was pretty good. Right. But other than that, I've never really been a Western guy, so this hasn't been something that I really pursued. The 2016 movie with Chris Pratt, Denzel Washington, Ethan Hawke, I actually really wanted to see it when it was in theaters, but I just didn't get around to it. Right. But yeah, this movie I know is on like everybody's top 100 films of greatest movies of all time, the uh, 1954 Toho version. Yeah. It- which is crazy. that The same year that Godzilla came out, same studio. Yeah, yeah same studio. Almost bankrupted. Yeah, whenever you think Toho, you just think monster movies, but <laughs> right. they obviously did other movies. Yeah, I I, I read that uh, between Godzilla and Seven Samurai, the studio almost went bankrupt when they were making it because there was so much 
money being thrown out. I mean, Seven Samurai is a close to four hour movie. It's like a three and a half plus hour movie. And it's like, there's a lot of stuff going on. I think the the shoot went months. It's, it's, there's a lot of money being thrown at that movie. It's shot for like 164 (laughs) days. So almost six months. Yeah, that's crazy. Worth of shooting, which is crazy. In in the winter, like the final battle scenes when it's all muddy and everything, they were filming that in sandals in the winter time. Right. Like they were freezing. And like that movie, like, so. When when I look at how I watch movies and you know how I do the podcast, I'm I'm not in film like you are. Um, right. I'm not in film like my wife Katrina is. So I don't necessarily look at these movies as from like the cinematography, how it got made. That's you know I don't have a frame of reference for that. But you know I typically watch movies kind of like the opposite of Neil, where it's just like <laughs> these are movies I like, and then I dive deep into the movies that I like or the movies that I cover on the podcast. Right. But even this movie watching. I was like, holy shit, like the battles they have, like they're not using stunt doubles. They're not using anybody. They're using like 40 people with actual bamboo spears and horses charging around, kicking their legs and everything like this was an incredibly dangerous film set. Yeah, it's 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 pretty nuts. It's all practical, all practical effects. Which is insane. And then it being a black and white movie, you know, obviously they have to do a lot more setup in terms of lighting and everything to make it where you can actually see what's going on at night scenes and everything like that. So even though it's a very, there was a point that I kind of laughed at the movie where it had, and this is a, you know, a transition that we kind of credit to Star Wars now, but like the sideways kind of swipe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That did that a lot. And I kind of laughed at it initially, but I realized, you know, and for the time that would have been something that wasn't. You know, we laugh at that today because that's something you can do in PowerPoint and Windows Movie Maker. But that was actually right innovative, a pretty pretty innovative at the time. Yeah. So it, it was really. It took me probably honestly probably a good forty five minutes to an hour to get out of my twenty eighteen mind frame mm. to watch this nineteen fifty four movie. Right. It does take that. That's the thing we've talked about that on our podcast too. It's this thing where you got to put yourself in that frame of mind of the time period, and it's difficult for some people to do. But it's necessary if you want to enjoy a movie from that era. You have to be like, oh, they haven't developed all this other stuff yet, so I have to just, I've, exactly. I've got to be an audience member sitting in a theater and realize none of this was created for home video either. Yeah, I think you watched like right. a chunk of this on your iPad, right? Or, or your tablet. This No, this one I watched on my TV okay. completely. What's kind of funny is it actually had an intermission because yeah. obviously it's three and a half hours. And a lot of, but it kept the intermission on the Amazon Prime rental. So there was like a 15-minute screen <laughs> that right. just said intermission on With it. With the music, yeah. yeah. Which I thought was kind of funny. Yep. But this is something, honestly, like 10, 15 years ago, I probably wouldn't have been able to watch. Like It wasn't until I hit like my 20s mm. where I could go back and watch old movies. Like I used to not like watching black and white movies. I used to not like watching really anything prior to the 70s, 80s, right. because I couldn't get my mind around the bad special effects. And, you know, we make um, we make up this joke a lot on our podcast. Uh, we did it during, uh, you know, all, anytime we covered a movie from like the 70s, 60s, 50s, whatever, whether it was like True Grit, The Fly, Charleston Heston as uh, in Planet of the Apes, where it's this acting in the 50s through really... Even Marlon Brando changed a little bit, mm-hmm. but even he was still kind of this where it was stoic, stoic, angry, right. stoic, stoic, angry. Like <laughs> right. it, it's, it was really hard for me to watch older movies. And now, now I can go through and appreciate, okay, that was just the style mm-hmm. I can get in. So like I had to mature a little bit before I could watch movies like this. Yeah. And I get that. I, I really do. Under, like that's never been like when people bring that up, I'm like, I understand that. I, I think to a degree. Uh, I can I get that sense myself sometimes where I'm like oh okay good because I have to consciously be in that frame of mind I don't I don't I'm right. not like deluding myself that like oh this is exactly like a movie from this year 
Like that's just not that's just not that's there's no way I'm gonna think that, especially with the acting style and 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 even just the way the audio is recorded and the way the shots are set up. A lot of two shots, a lot of medium and wide shots. Um, some some of these movies, not Seven Samurai, but some of these movies, the camera doesn't move a lot, so there's not a lot of action in the movies. Right. I watched this 1952, 50, 53 Japanese movie recently. Not to get too far off topic, Tokyo Story, where nothing happens in the entire film. It's a beautiful film, but like nothing ever happens. Like it's it's so like there's no action. It's not it's not, it's barely a drama, barely any tension, and it's like two and a half hours, and then the movie's over, oh and the and the camera never moves. It's pretty much just placed in front of two people, and they perform their scenes, and it, it there's not a lot of like fluid motion or anything to kind of make it more lively. Uh, and I enjoyed the movie, but I was like, okay, I get it. No, I couldn't show this to my wife or somebody else and have them go, "Well, oh my God, this is so like amazing." Right. Yeah. Well, what was funny was with this movie, and I'm not going to lie, there was points where I was a little bored in this movie, but I was also sick on cold medicine, barely <laughs> able to stay conscious at certain points. My wife is a YouTuber, and she was busy doing some Christmas specials for her YouTube channel. And tor- tor- during one of the skirmishes, so it wasn't like the final battle, but one of the skirmishes, my wife walks by, she stops, and, and her jaw just drops. She's like, holy shit, what is this? And I explain, you know, I tell her what movie it is, and she was just like, that's incredible and you know she is an actress she's on a film set several days a week right she's been in some big budget action movies in the background she's been in tv shows she's done a little bit of everything and she was just like those are real people that's actually happening (laughs) this is insane that's she's like her breath was taken away so like people i feel like this movie is one of those movies that the people whose film list it is in the top 100 top 10 whatever it is those are people who make movies who are part of the movie industry and they see Mm -hmm. the magic behind it where somebody like me it's a little bit harder and that's why i do appreciate my wife and she she's kind of taught me to look at things a little bit differently so like in our last episode we covered a star is born Mm. and there was this like scene that like i don't tear up in movies very often but there was this scene that the cinematography was just so beautiful where you know that she's it's the first time she's singing on stage with bradley cooper's character yeah. and then you kind of see the audience and you see everybody's just like blown away and then you kind of just see bradley cooper lady gaga and then you see the sun setting and then you just see these trees and it's like purple sky and it was just so beautiful yeah. that honestly before my wife i would have never noticed how beautiful that shot was it would just be like oh it's a sweeping thing mm-hmm. and i even teared up a little bit on that so that's awesome it's it's interesting to see how different you know movies like this you know work with people like Honestly, I'm changing a little bit, but if I guarantee if I had Double double D, probably would have liked this movie, but he probably wouldn't have appreciated mm. what be, went behind it. Alex did go to film school a little bit. He probably would have liked it and caught, you know, caught a lot of this stuff as well. But I, I don't know. I really do appreciate talking with someone like you right. who is still doing film. Right. Um, so why don't you t- tell me some of your highlights of this movie? What, what do you think really stands out What people, if they decide to watch this, should look for? Okay. So uh, first, I, w- I want to talk about story and character. Um, because I'm, I'm a writer and that, that is something that kind of in this day and age, and especially even as of like Hollywood 1960, when they made the remake with Magnificent Seven, there's this thing where they're like, well, we got to make it short. We got to get to the point really quick and we can't just draw things out. And Seven Samurai, it's three and a half to four hours. They don't even get the samurai all together until an hour into the movie. Like in any yeah. other movie, that would have been like seven. It's magnificent seven. Good. We have to have all seven of them in seven minutes. Like it would be like everybody would be together within ten to twenty minutes tops. Um, and I like it because it allows you to really fall into this world. It allows you. To, it creates an environment. It creates. I I feel like I know what I'm watching. This takes place in the 1500s in Japan, 
And I feel like I'm watching that. I don't feel like I'm watching 1954 Japan. I feel like I'm watching these characters and, and, and their struggle. These these farmers are completely in despair. They don't know what they're going to do. They they luckily have one young guy who's willing to basically be like, no, we need to kill them all. Let's fight them. And he's got that fire in his belly. And he's like, we got to right. do something. And, and then they go to the, the old man who's like the wise old man of the village. And he's like, yes, you'll go get samurai and they will come and they'll protect us. But this get this this. Well, and he even goes to the point saying, because this village is so poor that he they were like, well, we can't afford samurai. It's like, go get like disgraced samurai, samurai yeah. who are basically homeless. Get the ones who will work for just food, kind of thing. So it's what's even more impressive is like these samurai are not necessarily the best samurai out there. Right. The ones that they get, right? You know, it's interesting though. Um, I I've looked up a little bit of the history of like because I always found that fascinating. These aren't. Where do you think samurai? You think of honorable samurai you know fighting for their their lords and their masters and you know maybe the emperor or whatever and uh and this was a different take on it because they don't dive you think armor yeah armor uh, with the scaled armor yeah yeah yeah. and they don't they don't they don't have that not really very little bit if anything um and but then you if you look at the history of this this is in the 1500s and these disgraced samurai aren't disgraced in the way that they're not like a bunch of drunks and piece of shit but they're like their masters or their lords had died so they're unemployed like if you think about that if you serve a master yeah they're ronin if you serve a master that master is gone dead whatever what do you do you're a samurai and you need you you are now jobless you are effectively out of a job and so you're kind of like in this no man's land of what do you do with your skills and so they go to this you know this village this other village and they find there's all these samurai walking around who are jobless they're ronin and um most of them who have too much pride to work for a bunch of farmers for some rice. They're like, are you kidding me? Right. I'm a samurai. And then a couple of these samurai are kind of piece of shit. A couple of them are, you know, uh, at least one of them is like a drunkard and like incompetent. Not the ones they end up getting, but like as they're on their search. And I just love right. them, cr- like taking the time to really create this world and tell me what the hell is going on and who these people are. I love that. And then they come across who's possibly one of my favorite. I, he's the OG Obi-Wan. Like this is this guy is like Obi Wan <laughs> Kenobi, and if you look, George Lucas was heavily, heavily influenced by Kurosawa, the director of this film. Oh yeah, absolutely. For Star Wars, he, I mean, Star he Wars himself has said, yeah, yeah, he said that on multiple occasions. It was this and like the old pulps, like Flash Gordon and everything. He wanted to merge the two. Exactly. And if you look at, I mean, Jedi's are just space samurai. That's all they are. They're samurai, yeah. and and. Obi-Wan is basically this character played by Takashi uh, Shimura. First off, I don't speak Japanese. I've never speak, spoken Japanese. I am not Japanese, so I'm probably going to butcher some of these names and these words as we do this podcast. But um, this guy... Oh, it's all good. Yeah, this guy is incredible. There's something about him that I love. He's wise. He's calm. But he can he can put on his game face when, when the time comes. And there's And he's very Obi-Wan. And I love his character. And he's really, when they when they find him, he's the puzzle that brings out every other puzzle piece together. Right. He's the one who, what I, what I liked is when they find him, he he isn't initially just like, uh, no, I'm not going to do this kind of thing. He's like, well, if I were to do this, I would need, based off your village, there's no protection here, here, or here. So we would need at least two samurai on either side, plus however many villagers. So at this point, we're going to need seven samurai. So he like does this math to figure out they need seven samurai right. to even begin to look at this town. And they're like, oh, you're going to do it? He goes, no, I'm just kind of pondering it. Right. I didn't say and I was going to do it, goddammit. Yeah. And so then he they, they talk him into it. And 
once he's talked into it, he's just like he's he's there. Yeah. He had a thing. So he's assumed the responsibility. I, I did like that. Yeah. Exactly. There's there are a lot of things that I kind of want to bring up that are different from the the two remakes, yep. which there there are a lot of things that initially I kind of after I watched these movies, I kind of thought about it like what were the differences, what what did I like and what I appreciate? Because there were times in this 3-hour movie because it is a it, it is a chore to watch this movie to an extent. Yep. You 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 got to like put yourself in there and it, like you said earlier it being in Japanese and subtitled uh, it's not really something that you can not pay attention to. Right. You got to read. Everything. So even taking notes for this was difficult. Uh, I was pausing and rewinding a lot. But I really wanted to kind of like ponder and think about what the differences were afterwards. And I don't, a lot of these I don't think I can really bring up until after we kind of talk about the other ones. Because right. this one had a longer time period between the, you know, they find out that the bandits are coming before the actual attack. So mm-hmm. that allowed a lot of different things to change. Right. So I, I kind of, if is there if there's not anything else you kind of want to talk about with this one, I'd kind of like to move on. But I, I definitely want to come back to this movie in a bit. Yeah, definitely. I, I would like just, I just want to mention this one character, which is, um, so that guy I just mentioned, it's like the Obi-Wan kind of guy. Both he and this other guy, Toshiro Mufun, these two guys uh, were like the Leonardo DiCaprio to Martin Scorsese, like and Rob De Niro to Martin Scorsese. These guys were like in so many Kurosawa films. Um, but this Mufun guy, he's like- For a more- uh modern take the tom hardy to uh christopher, christopher nolan. nolan there you go that's a good one <laughs> exactly and he's and this guy who's a younger guy but he's so crazy and out of his fucking mind i love his character he's so insane in this movie i really like that character too and and uh, are you talking about the guy who um was training them yeah and then like kept yelling at the kids yeah. and then yes. found all the armor yes exactly that guy and he, you find out yeah. like in the movie. I don't know how much we want to spoil for people. It's not really that much, but you find I'll out. Spoil it. This movie's it's just eighty years yeah, old, 70, 70 years 74 old. years yeah, old. We can spoil it. Okay, good. He's basically he's not a samurai. Um, he kind of gives this illusion that he's samurai, but he's actually was born of a farmer's life. So he's got like so much disdain for like almost everybody, like samurai, the farmers himself. He's angry. He's upset. And you find out. I mean, this guy is a farmer himself, and he does this whole kind of monologue where he's like frothing at the mouth angry and he's kind of like breaking and at the end he starts breaking down crying and they realize oh my god like you were born yeah we had, born actually that scene was was incredible so basically to frame that scene is he's training a bunch of guys how to fight and he's kind of like you guys suck at fighting but then he notices this one old man has instead of having a bamboo spear he has an actual spear right and he's like where did you get that and then so he kind of like yells at these farmers until eventually they show him like this like stockpile of weapons and armor from you know dead soldiers from the war right and he also finds out that they they're actually they have more than just like the white rice that they're feeding they have sake and mushrooms and all this different stuff that they've been hiding right and so he brings this to the rest of the samurai and explains and the rest of the samurai are ready to just like they actually want to kill the villagers themselves at this point right because it was taken from their brethren. Like, they killed samurai for these things. They chased defeated warriors and people who were retreating and right. killed or them they, or, their, in their minds. Or even just took them off the dead bodies. Right. Which, you know, is still disrespectful. And, you know, obviously we have this illusion that samurai were super honorable. So then this far, this guy that we find out was born a farmer yells at them, like, why do you think they're in this position? They had nothing to do with this war. They didn't want this. Right. They were forced to let samurai into their village, forced to feed the samurai. Of they have nothing. They had to hide stuff from samurai. They're the reason. Like samurai, you are the reason why they're in this like shitty life. Right. 
And then all the summer I felt fucking terrible. Right. right. Kind of thing, which I, I really enjoyed. Yeah. And then later on in the movie, this is, I'll just say this. And then one of the other things that I liked about this movie versus the other two, this movie had multiple skirmishes. It wasn't just like one big battle. The 1960s version had two battles, but this one was what, four or five over yeah. the course of a couple of months. And there's a skirmish where they, the bandits destroy the mill and this crazy guy goes and tries to save the mill and this woman dies and hands him her baby as he's dying and he's like this is me this is how i began what's to happen like what's going to happen to this baby kind of thing right he, he was the character that i definitely related to the most i i think that was a good call bringing him up yeah definitely and he was in another movie by kurosawa rashomon uh, which was also great and the other guy takashi who played the obi-wan type character he's been the other, i've seen a couple other kurosawa films he was in and he's completely different in those movies and that's why his performance in this also stands out he was in a movie akura which was a more modern film in the 50s and he played like this down on his luck city planner kind of guy who is completely in despair nothing like his character in seven samurai and uh he was also in rashomon and his his like range of acting the older guy is incredible like he's one of my favorite guys from that period in terms of these japanese films because he could play the obi-wan but then he could also play the creepy old piece of shit man um beautifully <laughs> which he really does in this movie akira which is about a guy basically dying and what he does with those last few months of his life is a is a great very deep film uh and again i probably fucked yeah. up the title but it's akiru akira or something. <laughs> uh, all right so i guess we should move on to Magnificent Seven, 1960. I'll, I'll summarize this one. Okay. Um, so this one's from IMD. This is from Carrie MC. Sorry, Gary KMCD. When their small village is once again attacked by Bandit Calvera, three Mexican farmers head north to try and buy guns. They ask Chris Adams to help, but he suggests they hire experienced gunmen instead. He soon recruits five others and eventually accepts a sixth, who he initially rejected but made it impossible for him to say no. That is phrased very poorly. <laughs> uh, uh, together, they develop a plan to secure the town, defend it against Calvera's attack. In that time, friendships are formed, love blossoms between one of them and a beautiful local girl. Not all of them will survive the attack. There you go. That's, a that's phrased a little weird, but yeah. I, I, it, it kind of hits all the major points. Yep. And it's basically seven samurai in Mexico. Really? Yep. So the thing that's interesting about this movie and I'll just say at the top, out of the three that I watched, I think I found this one to be the most enjoyable, just like the easiest to watch. Okay. I think the 2016 one was easy to watch too, but I think this one was better. But it's actually a miracle that this movie even got made. Uh, do you know the background of this movie? I don't. I feel like I've looked it up at some point, but I, I couldn't. I couldn't tell you. So <laughs> there's a lot of shit that went went down on this set. So first off, when this movie was about to get made. There, there was about to be an actor's strike in Hollywood. Oh, shit. Which didn't affect movies that were already cast. So they had to rush to get this movie cast. And there were a couple issues. So um, Yul Brenner is, plays Chris. He's the lead. And, you know, of course, people will know Yul Brenner from The Ten Commandments, The King and I, a mm -hmm. bunch of different westerns. You know, huge, huge, one of the biggest actors of his day. Right. He actually gets casting vetoes on all of his movies because he was one of the biggest stars at the time. Mm -hmm. So he made it difficult because he was kept saying no to people. And eventually the director had to be like, we're not going to make this movie if we don't get it. So eventually, you know, they did cast, they get everybody going. Well, Yul Brenner and Steve McQueen hated each other. <laughs> oh, shit. Like hated each other. So Yul Brenner is 
something like five foot ten, and Steve McQueen's five foot nine and a half or something like that. So anytime they were shooting outside, Yul Brenner would take dirt. He would make a mound of dirt to get himself like an inch taller <laughs> than Steve McQueen. And Steve McQueen thought this was funny, so he would just kick the pile of dirt every time he could, and that pissed off Yul Brenner. The other thing that would go on is Steve McQueen is arguably the second lead in this movie, mm-hmm. and he had just come off Great Escape, so he's he's big right then. Right. He kept doing things that Yul Brenner felt like he was trying to upstage him. So if Yul Brenner was doing a monologue or whatever, Steve McQueen would take off his hat. He would like run his fingers against the brim of the hat or he would um, shake the shotgun, pretending to clean his shotgun, everything like that. <laughs> so Yul Brenner was like, he's trying to distract from me and take my screen time away kind of thing. So they were like arguing constantly and they actually, Yul Brenner actually tried to get Steve McQueen off the movie. Jesus. So what ended up happening is the director, I can't remember his name. He, um, he quickly lost control of this film set and all the other um, actors started doing little things that they can get noticed on screen. And it was just insane. And then the other thing that happens, apparently the same studio made a movie in Mexico a few years prior that made Mexico look really bad, like dirty and disgusting. And so they weren't going to let them film in Mexico unless they let somebody from the censor board of Mexico appear. So, they had this guy who can veto anything from the Mexican censor board. Wow. And so initially, like, these are supposed to be poor farmers. So they had them in these, like, run, you know, worn down, dirty clothes. And the Mexican board was like, no, that's not okay. They need to be in clean clothes. So that's why these all the Mexican farmers ended up in white clothing <laughs> in the desert. <laughs> because they wanted to be seen as being able to afford clean clothes kind of thing. So between all that, it, it was a pain in the ass to get the movie to be made it almost wasn't made it was almost shut down several times and it actually didn't make any money in the united states it was a poor it was a bomb in the box office here Mm. but it did really really well in europe and um actually for um, the director of seven samurai loved the movie and actually sent the director a uh, ceremonial sword oh that's awesome i didn't know that so yeah it's it's a crazy background so i kind of like i've read all this before i watched the movie right so i kind of appreciated the fact like that kind of that underdog story like this movie really had no business getting made but it did right that's awesome so that's yeah it's a really kind of fucked up way that that this movie got made that really is but i'm glad that um steve mcqueen wasn't ejected from the movie because he's my favorite guy in that film like steve mcqueen i love anything he's he's in yeah but he's so great in this he's like the I don't know, the Brad Pitt to George Clooney in Ocean's Eleven. Like, he's that right. great right-hand man. I, I think he's, like, a he's charming. I think he's, like, a slightly less handsome Paul Newman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He would have been, he probably would have even been great in Butch Cash and Sundance Kid, either as Butch or Sundance. Like, he could have easily, yeah, like, I agree. gotten, he's so charismatic, so charming. But I loved his just little reactions and his little, you know, little cuts to his, you know, he has all these reaction shots throughout Magnificent Seven that I'm like, how is this not a gif? How do we not have this? Like, it's perfect. It's like the, during dialogue right. scenes, I'll just... Well, and, the, and honestly, like, all the things that he did that upstaged Yul Brenner, yeah. if he didn't do these things, I think the movie would have been a lot more boring. Like, it wouldn't have been as interesting. Like, just seeing a man standing still while another man's talking, like, that's not how we are in real right. life. If If you and I were in the same room and you were talking, I'd probably be fidgeting. I'd probably be looking at my phone. I'd be emoting, like that's how real people act so honestly i didn't even notice all these things that people like that people said that he was doing i was just like that just seems like he's being natural acting, being a normal person right. like kind of thing so i really appreciated all the little nuance that he had and i think that yul brenner was just being 
a dick. <laughs> right. Um, and it wasn't just Yul Brenner. Like, uh, Steve McQueen didn't like him either. There was a point where Steve McQueen complained that Yul Brenner had the biggest horse, but it was actually um, like Robert Vaughn's character who had the biggest horse. And he's like, I don't care about your horse. Between my horse and Yul Brenner's horse, Yul Brenner's horse is bigger. Like, they were just being super petty. That's so, that, uh, I mean, that was a time period too, right? People were always about screen yeah. time and like, it just seemed a little more petty behind the scenes back then. It, like, dr- and they eventually made up on Steve McQueen's deathbed. Um, well, because Steve McQueen died of cancer. Uh, Yul Brenner did visit him and they kind of made up and he was like, hey, thank you for letting me be in this movie. You know, I was like the, um, you know, petulant child trying to go, you know, against the king or something like that. And then Yul Brenner said something along the lines of, he goes, you were the young prince and I was the king, both of us equally as royal kind of thing. Right. Kind of thing. So, like, they made up for That's it. Cool. He understood what was going on down the line. So, I, I'm glad. You know, it was a kind of a happy ending. Yeah. Who else is in this movie, though? We had uh, Charles Bronson's in it. Charles uh, Bronson was great in this hottie. movie. He was probably my second favorite character. Yeah, he was great. I Because I had only, when I first saw this movie, I'd only seen him mainly in, like, older movies, like De- the Death Wish movies, where he was an older guy. Um, right. I, yeah. Same. Same. Thing. I did he not looks, even recognize. He was him. actually really handsome when he was younger. Very. Like he doesn't look as when he's in like Death Wish and everything. He kind of looks like a gnarled old man. Like he kind of looks. Yeah. He's shirtless scary, in this movie. A bunch. This, and like, he's like a perfect body. Yeah. He's. They're all shirtless in this movie when they're dig, like digging That's the true, trench. Yep. And I'm like, these guys are all like men. Right. They're all like <laughs> jacked. Yeah. And like this is before like there were gyms. Like you didn't really like work out in gyms. Like people just had really good bodies right. back in the day apparently <laughs> they weren't eating all the processed food that we have I, and that must be it because these guys yeah they had like it wasn't a gross like ripped body but it was like they had these now i don't know why we're sitting here talking about shirtless men i don't know how how we just you devolved what, into this but it's, it's, it's totally okay they are enough of my sexuality <laughs> to talk about these ripped men they are magnificent and that's really where the name came from. <laughs> and there were seven and of them. there were seven um but they were <laughs> but they were all tens in my book um. Yeah. But they, like, yeah. Charles Bronson was fantastic, and I saw him later on. Around, I, he did Once Upon a Time in Mexico, which was also a movie he'd done when he was younger. But this movie and his role specifically in it, um, yeah, he's like my favorite character, definitely next to Steve McQueen. Like, it's, and, and he's he's basically the same character that you liked in Seven Samurai, the kind of the crazy guy yep. who bonds with the kids. Um, I think and that's I, more I, Chico, right? I think that was supposed to be more the crazy character, like the Chico. I feel is more like the guy who was no Chico was like the younger guy who fell in love with the villager. Who they may have mixed kind it of around a, a little bit. I think they kind of almost yeah they, they mix things up a little bit because wasn't uh, was overall, his face uh, cut in wood? Wasn't he using uh, when when we first see Charles, Charles Bronson was cutting was cutting wood? Yeah, but there was the guy just like um maybe we're talking about the different yeah guy the, the first samurai. samurai they found was cutting wood that was different or he was doing something with bamboo. Yeah, even though he was um, splitting they wood, kind of like mixed and matched. Yeah, it. yeah, I think that's what they did. They must have just mixed it up, and it's not like a uh, an exact like oh this is that exact because character. the thing that's in this version, um, like Robert uh, Robert Vaughn's character Lee only has less than he has like less than 15 lines of dialogue there's like two or three of the magnificent seven who had less than like 10 lines of dialogue mm, right so the people who really dominated the screen obviously yul brenner as chris um steve mcqueen as vin charles bronson as o'reilly and then you had i can't remember the actor's name but he played um chico who was the young hothead yeah exactly which who, uh, i guess they call horse buckles i don't know i don't know who he is yep uh, that yeah that's who he is yeah uh so those were kind of like it was like four people and then the other three like Britt, the guy who who's good with the knives yep i don't think he spoke at all other than saying i want yeah, that was james coburn wasn't it 
Yeah. James Coburn, yeah, it was who, James who Coburn. just ended up becoming like a classic actor uh, in and of himself, you know, as an older guy and, cha- and trained with Bruce Lee along with Steve McQueen. They both were yep. students of Bruce Lee. Uh, but, I, I, but yeah, he the, didn't have a lot of dialogue. He was pretty much silent throughout, but I loved him. He was supposed to be like the guy who doesn't have a lot of dialogue in Seven Samurai, actually. Yeah, he was supposed to be kind of like the lurker. Yeah. Um, the thing that was the thing that's interesting about this movie. So there was a sequel that came out like six years later, uh, and only three people survived. Only three three samurai survived at the end of Seven Samurai. Only three people survived in this one. Yeah. Uh, and so when they did the sequel, the only person who came back was Yul Brenner. So they recast Vin and they recast Chico. Oh, wow. uh, but then there was a TV show that ran for like twelve years. What twelve years? And Robert Vaughn, yeah. Robert Vaughn, who played Lee, uh, who was like the really dapper, good-looking yep. guy who was dressed all fancy, yeah. he actually showed up in that TV show throughout as a judge. And then there was a, I mentioned at the top of the episode, like a space-themed one called like a battle against the, amongst the stars or something like that. Mm. And he made an appearance in that. And I just think it's funny that the guy who is arguably in the movie <laughs> the, least. the least or close to shows up in all the different <laughs> versions of this of this franchise. Right. Uh, it's just kind of kind of interesting. So, uh, what do you have any highlights about this movie? Anything particularly you want to shout out? Um, it's definitely Steve McQueen. Um, Steve McQueen, Charles Bronson. I actually like James Coburn too with the knives. I think he had the uh, he was supposed to be kind of awesome with knives. Um, I love that Eli Wallach as the uh, head of the bandits. I felt like they they gave him more of a character than they did in Seven, even though Seven Samurai is three and a half you know, or more hours long, right. they didn't really, the bandits weren't really fleshed out. And this one, Eli right. Wallach has more of a story. You kind of, you, you get into the character a little bit more. Learn more about that character in this movie, I think, the bandits. Yeah, they, you know, a little bit more. Yeah, this. they absolutely did. They, um, they put him in a red shirt and had him wearing jewelry to show that, like, he uses the stuff that he steals. Right. And he has this big, like, monologue at the beginning where he goes... Basically says, I've been stealing from the village for years. Like, there used to be gold candlesticks in the church. There used to be coins. There used to be food and everything. Like, where is everything? And, you know, one of the guys in the village stands up and he's like, well, you took it all. You think we're going to replace the gold that you stole with more gold kind of thing? Right. And so he ends up, like, shooting one of the villager who, like, stands up for himself. And he's like, I'm going to be back, you know, eventually. And this is supposed to be... This movie takes place over, like, four or six, four to six weeks where the Seven Samurai took place over months yeah, yes. um, it was supposed to be like and the way you can tell that time passed is that the, when we first meet like the obi-wan kenobi like character shaves his head. he's getting his head shaved yeah. and he like shaves it all the way down and then by the end of the movie he's got like probably half an inch of hair right kind of thing and that's it's supposed to be several months that go by in that movie this one it's supposed to be four to six weeks right and it, it, um, and it is a significantly shorter movie it's just about just over two hours as opposed to the one that's closer to four hours and and I mentioned that I wanted to go back to Seven Samurai. I, I think I can bring up some of the stuff I wanted to go over. Okay. So one of the things I did like about Seven Samurai more than I did at least the 2016, which we haven't talked about, and this movie did it to an extent, was uh, getting to know the villagers mm-hmm. kind of thing, developing a relationship. Yep. And that's honestly where a large chunk of the three hours went to yeah. in Seven Samurai. So yeah, that's a, that's a huge chunk of the three hours is... <laughs> them getting to know the villagers and having the young guy develop a relationship with a woman who's pretending to be a man and right. you know all this different stuff that takes time this movie i think did a pretty good job with that as well obviously it truncated it quite a bit in terms of like it still had chico falling in love with that girl and pretending like he didn't want it right i still had that whole interaction which um this movie took a lot of lines from the original mm. kind of thing where you know then the seven samurai there's a point where like the villagers 
are hiding. They don't show up until like the crazy guy makes the alarm go and kind of was like, why are you guys hiding from us? Kind of thing. Right. The same thing happens in this one where they show up to the village and there's no women, there's no children. And so I think it was Chico. He sounds the alarm to get everyone in a panic. And they're like, this is how you treat us. This is bullshit. Like, why are you guys, we're here to help you. And you guys are treating us like we're an invading army. Right. And he says that the girl that he captures and like, honestly, I can get why the girl feels this way. He sees this girl at the river. He like abducts her, brings her back. It's like, she thinks we're going to rape them <laughs> kind of thing. And, there's a really weird line where Yul Brenner, as Chris says, well, we might. Yeah, I remember they that. could have given us the benefit that's of the so doubt. Weird. And it's like, that's super <laughs> fucked up. Then the other line that they take, like, this is this is only in, uh, this is in all three movies, but there's a point where food is a big deal in the first two movies. So in the first two movies, they're basically getting paid in food. And then in Magnificent Seven, nineteen six, they're getting paid $20 for the entire right. campaign. That's right. Um, but mostly it's the food. In Seven Samurai, it's just food. So there's a point where in Seven Samurai, they're talking about how the village is just eating millet, where they're getting, the samurai are getting white rice. And so the Seven Samurai decide to share their rice with the children. Yeah. And this one, kind of the same thing happens. They're like, you guys are getting the best food. And they're like, you know what, we'll share it. And then they go and one of the kids, or one, um, Steve McQueen's character to one of the kids is like, hey, do you have an older appreciative sister? Right, which is also in Seven Samurai. I like how they do keep some of these things. Like, it's interesting that there are certain things that are just universal. Right. It doesn't matter if it's in Japanese or English. Men are horny. <laughs> That's right. You know, it, it, in, in with regard to um, the character development with the first you know, Magnificent Seven, uh, as opposed to Seven Samurai, Seven Samurai spends more time with these characters. I never personally felt invested like I did with Seven Samurai. When I watched Magnificent Seven, I, I liked the movie. But I don't love the movie like I do Seven Samurai. And there's something about that earlier one that they spend so much time with it that I just automatically find myself in that world. Right. Magnificent Seven, I'm watching a movie. I, I, Seven Samurai, I'm in the world. I, I think I definitely related to Magnificent Seven, a couple characters. Like I really, I actually felt something when O'Reilly, that's Charles Bronson's character, died. Because throughout the movie, the kids just take to him. That's true. Like the kids yeah. in the village love him. And he keeps explaining, like, they keep, like, shitting on their parents, like, oh, we wish you were our dad because you're brave and everything. And they keep calling their own parents cowards. And he's like, you guys don't understand. Like, it takes a lot to give up their life to raise a family and everything. It's really easy to go be somebody like me who doesn't have a family, doesn't have a town. I can go anything. I don't have any responsibilities. They're afraid for you. And they're trying to do what they think is right. Like, so he has this whole thing right. where he's trying to tell the kids, like, don't look up to me. Look up to your parents. And then the kids keep following him around, even in these battles. So he's trying to keep these kids safe in a battle and ultimately dies yes. because he's trying to look out for these kids. And the kids are like, oh, our bad. We didn't mean for that to happen. <laughs> and he goes, hey, look. And he points to his their, their parents. They're like, look, those are your parents fighting. This is what you wanted. Like, they're everything. They love you and they're fighting. Go go be with your parents kind of thing. Right. Which I thought was a really touching moment. Like, I actually... I do agree. That death actually did affect Completely. me. Completely. I was, I was the others same were kind of... The, the other thing that was kind of weird about this movie, and I kind of, initially I was kind of annoyed by it, but then later on I kind of like understood it where most of the other act, like other actors or the other Magnificent Seven, they just kind of like died. Like you didn't see who killed them. It was just like, you hear a gunshot from off screen, you see them hit. Um, so Britt, the guy who was really good with knives, you see him like shooting, you see him go undercover and then he pops up from cover and he just has a gunshot. It's like who, we don't see anything from when that got happened when uh, Charles Bronson's character got shot twice he got shot in the arm at the beginning of the final skirmish and we don't see it yeah Lee the dapper guy he has like PTSD from the Civil War 
and he has nightmares and everything like that. And there's a point where he's just kind of walking around the battle, not fighting anybody. And then he finally like walks into this jail where there's people and he pulls out his gun and kills like five people. Right. Let's out the jail. And then he goes outside and he sees everyone kind of fighting and he smiles and he realized like, you know, he's killed again. And he's kind of got this moment where he's trying to figure out what he's going to do. And then he just gets killed. Yeah. Like you don't see anything. So there were a lot of these like deaths that came from nowhere. And initially I was annoyed because in modern movies, um, and they do this in 2016. You, you get this whole buildup. Like you see whether it's foreshadowed or you straight up see the guy sneaking up on the hero. But in this, it's it's honestly like what war really is. Like war, like death is like is it's just pointless in war. Like it just happens. Like you don't always see how you die. Yeah. And it's not a clear like reason why or anything else. It's not like it has to be uh, a scripted reason why. It's sort of like you're in a melee. You're in chaos. And sometimes you're just gonna yeah, get exactly. the, you're gonna There's get the dick end of chaos. Sometimes, yeah, it could it could have even been a villager who killed him. We have no idea. We just, it's it's just the chaos of war and battle and kind of thing. So it's once again looking at it as a modern viewer, it was hard to like, well, how did he die? Why did he die? That's strange, right? But it, honestly, it's it's more realistic that way that we don't know, right? Agreed. On Seven Samurai, I wanted. I'm sorry, I just wanted to make sure I mentioned one of my favorite scenes it's very small um but before we moved past it i wanted to mention it there's that scene where those villagers so they decide on their plan they have to strategize how they're going to handle these 40 bandits coming in and they they decide they're going to basically give up the houses across the the river or whatever like on the other side of the river they're right they're just going to be like we have to basically abandon those three houses in order to save the whole village and the people whose houses those are are like fuck that like one of the guys is like he throws he's like throw down your spears we're gonna go back and defend our own houses and they're like abandoning the line like they, they've been training these guys they're putting them together they're trying to make them into a team and these bunch of people are like screw this if you guys aren't gonna save our house we're gonna go save our own house and you deal with yours we're, we're not gonna fight for you um and they throw down their spears and they start running off and then takashi who's been cool and calm the whole movie as the obi-wan type yells like in Japanese whatever he says and he they stop in their tracks and he just pulls out his sword and he just starts running at them like and they fucking freak the fuck out and run back in line and pick up their yeah. spears and you're like this guy's a motherfucker he's he's the man like he pulls out his sword and with yeah, his voice and his movement and the and the, the music all of a sudden kicks in at that point and there's this great little score that underlines it there's something about that scene that gives me chills because he and they they tried to do that in the 1960s one and it wasn't anywhere near as effective so there's a point where in, in the 1960s one they do have two skirmishes so there's one where they kind of like get the bandits to come in and they have all these like fences and stuff and they have this big thing like you think those are going to keep us out They're like no those are designed to keep you in and then all the villagers come yeah. out and they kill a big chunk of the bandits but after that they have this like big party and feast and then a bunch of people are like, well, maybe we should like not do that again. Like they're going to come back and they know what to expect. So maybe we should like give up and maybe he'll see that we're willing to fight and he'll be a little bit more lenient on us. And a bunch of people are kind of like that. Like, yeah, let's like, let's go kind of like parlay with the bad guys with uh Calavera. Yeah. And uh, Chris played by Yul Brenner is like, no, at this point we can't give up. And if anybody wants to give up, like I'll kill them myself kind of thing. And it it wasn't anywhere near as effective as it was in Seven Seven. It, it really wasn't. There was some about that. Maybe because you'd already been you were two out. We were two hours into the movie, and Takashi's been cool, calm, and kind of like a a, a wise, stoic leader in a way, uh, but also very nice and like you just like his character. And he did that one thing earlier on right. where he got he saved that baby from that thief. 
Um, so he did have that scene early when you first meet him, but there's something about that scene that it's like, this guy's a born badass leader, samurai. Yeah. Like he's, he's, this yeah. is what he does. And it kind of comes out all his years of experience and his battles and his, the wars he's fought and everything else comes out in that moment. He's like, I'm going to put these guys in their place. I love it. I guess we should move on to the 2016. There is one scene that I want to talk out, talk about that comes up in all three. Okay. Uh, so I'll save it until we get into this one. Uh, do you want to summarize this next one? Last time I didn't acknowledge uh, the person on IMDb that I was stealing from, so I should probably do that this you time. Bastard! I'm a bastard. All right, let me see. So uh, director Anton. Okay, this is from. Should I acknowledge who this is? Oh, does it even say? Yes, it doesn't say this one. Yeah, it does. It no, doesn't say no, who it is. Don't acknowledge it then. Ah! You don't get to get acknowledged, sorry. All right, director Anton Fuqua brings his modern vision to a classic story in The Magnificent Seven. With the town of Rose Creek under the deadly control of industrialist Bartholomew Bogue, the desperate townspeople employ protection from seven outlaws, bounty hunters, gamblers, and hired guns. As they prepare the town for the violent showdown that they know is coming, these seven mercenaries find themselves fighting for more than money. It's a pretty good summary, whoever you are. So right off the bat, I have to say the only thing that I actually liked better about this one than any of the other versions. Now, obviously, the Japanese one gets a pass at this portion, yeah. um, but is the more diverse cast. Oh, of course. Right. Um, so obviously, in Japan, you're only going to have Japanese people. I'm fine with that one. He did have uh, Charles Bronson played a half Mexican, half Irishman mm -hmm. in the, the 1960s version. I really do appreciate the diverse cast. So you had, um, uh, what's his name? Hung Bun. I can't remember his name, but he plays um, Storm Shadow. In um, G.I. Joe, he's in the Red movies with, uh, like, Bruce Willis and all that. You know, they had him basically be the Brit character from the 1960s. They had, uh, they actually got, like, a Native American man to play. They they got a Native American person to be part of the Magnificent Seven. Uh, I, I, I did appreciate that. And then, of course, Denzel Washington being black. Yeah, being the lead guy. In this, like, it's being the lead guy. You know, historically, does it make a ton of sense? Probably not. But right. for a modern you know, cinema, it does make a lot of sense. And it's Antoine Fouque who works with Denzel in like every movie yeah, he does. Yeah, Training Day. So that kind of... Yeah, what's weird is this director, he is so hit or miss. Like mm -hmm. Training Day, Academy Award winning yeah. movie, amazing. Equalizer, great movie. Right. And then he does this, which I don't think is great. And he did Olympus Has Fallen with Gerard Butler. I actually like Olympus Has Fallen a lot. You're going to tell. I actually really like that movie as an action film. Fun movie. I love it. It's a fun movie, but it's not good. It is. When, when it comes to, you know, it, just generally, like if you're going to analyze it from that, totally. But for some reason, right. I just gave myself to that movie. It took my virginity. I was good. Like I was. I watched it and I enjoyed it actually. The first time I watched it was actually when I first got my cat Haggard, who's being a dickhead today. He, um, we we'd only had him for like a few days, and I put him on Netflix. And when we first got our cat, yeah. he would hide unless we had the TV on, and he loved watching TV. So he literally sat there and watched Olympus Has Fallen with me the entire time. <laughs> Jesus, which was really strange, but uh, it's it's not a good movie. It's fun, and I I think there's something to be said. Like you don't have to be. It doesn't have to be a good movie to be fun. Like that Venom movie that's yeah. out right now, or actually it's coming out on DVD soon. That movie's terrible. Yeah. But it's fun. Exactly. Like, there are moments that are legitimately fun. And that's the thing. And it, it upsets me that that movie is actually doing so well because now Sony's talking about pulling Tom Holland from MCU. I, I don't um, know. Pulling Spider-Man from MCU. So that kind of bums yeah, me out. that's not smart. But, you know, that's a, that's a different topic. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah. So this movie. But Anton, the, the director. Um, yeah, he did this one. He did Olympus Has Fallen. He did Training. He did Equalizer. He did, uh, I think he did that King Arthur movie, too, with Ian Griffith. Um, 
he's done a ton of yeah. movies. Uh, he's an incredible. Like it's, it's just weird that he has oh he such great movies and movies that are just they're they're not. It is Southpaw. Southpaw, good. the boxing movie. Yeah, Southpaw. Southpaw, yep. great movie, yeah. great movie. Yeah. And yeah, it's just I I don't know. I, I when I found out he was directing this, I'm like, oh, this is gonna be really good. Right. And it's not a bad movie. It's not. But this, I'm just gonna say it up front. This is the kind of movie that. When at the end of the episodes, we always say, "Hey, where was this a necessary remake or a necessary reboot or whatever?" And in this particular case, I think it did everything that we don't want in a remake or a reboot. That it it didn't really bring anything new, other than having you know a more diverse cast. Right. Like, the plot change, the little plot changes they have aren't enough to justify this movie existing. And the other thing is, it's too pretty. Mm, it definitely it's, polished. It's it's so polished. It. It does some color correction. There's some really nice nature shots and everything. Like it is a beautifully composed and shot film. The cinematography is great. But when I watch a Western, I kind of want that little bit of grittiness. Yes. And it didn't have that. I was actually talking to Katrina while I was watching the 1960s version. And I was telling her, I'm like, I don't know what it is. I'm like, I don't know if I necessarily like it. But the movies from like the 60s, they that's kind of more accurate in terms of what people actually look like. Like the coloring is more accurate. Mm. The movies are still sharp, even though they're not technically HD, they've been remastered and everything, but they look incredible. But when you look at movies today, like everything is color corrected. Yeah. They film it. Um, Matt, I can't remember what the actual technology they use when they film, but basically it pulls most of the color out, films it kind of matted. Yeah. And then it, you know, they like, uh, Mad Max, they made it all orange. And then you have a lot of other, like Transformers movies are gray or, or blue. You have The Matrix was tinted green. Like they do all this color correction stuff now. And even in movies that like this, like you can definitely see that there's like a filter placed over the movie. Like it's too polished. And when I watch a Western, I want to see some grit. Right, right. No, it's true. I mean, they... and I... Go ahead. It, no, that's it. It's just like, it's just... When you go... When, uh, I'm going to bring up True Grit again, like when you watch the Cohen's brother of that movie, Cohen version, Cohen brothers version of that movie, yeah. it looks like a modern movie, but it has that grittiness. It looks dirty. It lo like everything in this movie was too clean. Like everyone's clothing was, you know, nicely, friendly, right. pressed, clean, all the villagers and everybody looked like they were in their Sunday's finest all the time. Right. right. Which again is one of the things I love about seven samurai. It, they, they're in ratty tattered robes and they're dirty and it's it's not trying to be shiny at all and it's dirty right. and dusty and dust is always kicking up as they walk and you don't see one thing that looks like it was made today um exactly but seven yeah magnificent seven definitely feels like a hollywood 2016 action movie um and and, and, it, and it yeah like the only person who looked dirty was vincent d'onofrio's character as jack horn right. Like, he was this, like, burly mountain man. And then even with that, like, I, I think Vincent D'Onofrio is an incredible actor, whether you look at his recent stuff like Daredevil or you go back to, um, like, Full Metal, Metal Jacket. Jacket. He's an incredible actor. Yeah. But in this movie, he made some interesting choices. Like, he does this, like, really high-pitched kind of, like, I, I can't even, I don't even know how to describe <laughs> it. It's just, like, really weird. It's, like, raspy but also high-pitched. It's almost like American Voldemort. <laughs> American Voldemort. It's just, it's just weird. Like, I don't know what he was doing. Um, and he was still great in this movie. Yeah. The, the, the scene that I kind of want to talk about that appeared in all three, which we haven't brought up yet, is uh, in all three versions, there's a character where they see in some sort of competition. So in the 1960s version and this one, it's a shooting competition. In Seven Samurai, it's literally they're using uh, like wooden sticks to do like a sword yeah. fight. In all three versions, the our hero says that they won. 
And then the other person they were competing against says that they won or it was a draw. Right. So then they decide they want to do the real yeah. thing. So in Seven Samurai, instead of using sticks, they use real swords. And the guy, you know, the guy who's not our hero dies immediately. In the two Western versions, instead of using guns, the character throws a knife instead of drawing a right. gun kind of thing. And I, I actually thought that was pretty cool. And I actually appreciate, I, I actually liked that better than I did the Seven Samurai version. I think it showed that this character, I think it did something to show that the character was good at more than just one right. thing. Right, and I, th I think he drew a knife against a gun, was it? Like his gun, his knife was faster yeah. than a gun, uh, which is uh, cool yeah. in itself, and that like was in, in any movie. That was, that's kind of a cool setup. Yeah, and, and that was in both versions. So Brit did that in the 1960s version, and then Billy did that in this version. And I actually really did like that. Right. And I, I appreciated in this version that Billy was like an excellent martial artist. And there's points where he's going in the battlefield and he's throwing knives and he's like stabbing people. Like the thing about this movie is like the action scene at the end is a better action scene than any of the other right. two. Realistically. Then right. that's because obviously we have stunt coordinators and we have months of planning and you know, all this stuff, the special effects in this movie, there's not a ton of everything. There obviously is the Gatling gun. There are a few explosions, but for the most part, it's mostly practical, yeah. but they get months of planning and they have, you know, they've got these actors who are martial artists or who have done action movies before. Like, this is what they do. But realistically, like, even though it's a significantly better action scene than any of the other ones, it's still kind of a mild one compared to, like, today's standards. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, when I think of these three, I think of this last one, the newest one, as an action movie. I don't really think of the other one, right. even though they have action. And apparently uh, Seven Samurai is considered like the, the grandfather, the godfather of modern action films, because a lot yeah, of that's... elements used in that, like slow motion and like the reluctant hero and some of the battle they scenes. They did some interesting frame rate things. Like when people are running, they sped it yep. up sometimes. Like that was a really interesting thing that they did that, yeah, back in that time, yeah. not a lot of movies were doing. Oh, that movie is very kinetic. Yeah. Like that Seven Samurai never yeah. feels slow and boring. Like it's always move. like something about it. Like the uh, it's some, it's sometimes it's in the editing, it's in the, the, the pacing of the scenes. It's, um, but that movie is very kinetic. It very much feels for three and a half to four hours, that movie moves. And um, yeah, it does. Yeah. So, so that's, but the newest one feels more like an action film than in any of the three. Which is weird because it only has like one scene. Right. So the 1960s has two skirmishes, one, right? And then Seven Samurai have several where they're just, you know, tallying how many people got killed, right. right? This one, you know, there's a few little ones as you're getting introduced to the characters. Like um, Faraday, played by Chris Pratt, is like cheating at cards. And then like these guys come up to like try to take their money and he ends up killing them. And, you know... I've, I, we've come to expect a lot from Chris Pratt. He's really charming and everything. I felt like he seemed like he was bored in this movie. Hmm. I didn't see that same charm that I've seen from him in like everything else. The only time we're at the end when he, um, there's a point where he lures some people into a trap and he blows them up and he kind of like smiles when he blows these people up. That was like the only time I really felt like, oh, there's the Chris Pratt that we know and love. Right. And then the scene where he sacrificed himself, I, I thought he did great, but I felt like he seemed a little bored. And to be honest, he might have been like he was working nonstop from Guardians of the Galaxy, this Guardians of the Galaxy two, Jurassic Passengers. World. Yeah, he was doing a ton of movies back to back to back to back. Jurassic Park. So he might have just been exhausted, and maybe this one is not the one he was as interested in. I don't know, but he seemed bored. I felt like Denzel Washington seemed a little bored. Like he was kind of his performance was muted. Like he didn't have any highs or lows, and like, that could be part of the character. But yeah, Yul Brenner like, plays no a little emotion. like that in the original. In, in the second yeah. movie, yeah. So, so he, 
I don't know. And then like it was weird because Ethan Hawke was in this movie, right? And he didn't do very much. And I was kind of like, I don't, I don't know if you, I don't remember what episode it was in, but I went on a rant against Ethan Hawke a few episodes back. <laughs> I did hear that, yeah. Because and I'll, I'll just paraphrase. So basically, a few months ago, Ethan Hawke made this like super ignorant statement saying that like superhero movies have no substance or whatever. He would get along great with Neil. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he had this thing where basically he said that um, he watched Logan because everyone told him like, it's not a good superhero movie. It's a good movie, which I agree. I think Logan's a great yeah. movie. And he says, but it, he goes, I watched it and it was still a bunch of people in spandex fighting things. And it's like, that's not that's true. Not true like, at all. Just unequivocally, like there are no superhero costumes in Logan. Right. Like, it's not. And then, so he goes and just shits on the entire genre. And then he goes and basically says, you know, it upsets him that so many people watch all these remakes, reboots, superhero movies, all this stuff with Flash, but then don't go see his independent films hmm. kind of thing, which I think there's a place for independent films. And I and, and it's a shame that MoviePass isn't working out as well as it was, because when MoviePass was in its, like, heyday, I went and saw things like Lady Bird, Three Billboards Outside, um, Ebbing, Missouri, things that I would have never paid to go see. Right. And I really enjoyed them. And I think the issue with independent films is not that people necessarily don't want to see them. It's when a movie costs $14, $15, people don't want to go spend money to see something that they don't know for sure they're going to like, where they know they're going to like Venom, where they know they're going to like Avengers and everything like that. So if you're going to spend money, you want to spend on something you know you're going to like, right? It's very true. Which Which I totally get. So it really bothered me that he was in this movie that had no substance, really. Like there was no real artistic merit of this movie. So it it, it was it was it was kind of bothered me seeing him in this movie. And I know this movie came out before he made that statement, but you know he's he's made some questionable movies. This um, that Daybreakers vampire movie that he was in. So it just kind of really bothered me how elitist he comes off, and then he does stuff like this when obviously he just wants a paycheck. <laughs> right. Well, I just because I, this is a paycheck. Movie. Yeah, I, but I have a I, I take I take anybody to task who says oh, and they make general statements about anything like that, like making any sort of exactly. I just don't get it. Like I don't get that kind of mentality where anybody's like oh blah. Like somebody who goes, I mean, I generally don't like newer music, but I don't make general sweeping statements like music these days has no substance. I'm like, have you heard some of the fucking doo wop songs from the 50s and 60s that you love? Because those things don't say shit. Like they're as they're as bland right. and boring and un- uninsightful as any modern R and B or pop song. So like, let's not pretend like exactly. every song and every music, you know, all the music from back in the day was and Led it's Zeppelin. Like when you look at when people say, "Oh, I love '80s music," there was a lot of shit music yeah. in the '80s. But we're just like when you go on Pandora and or Spotify or whatever and do an '80s mix, it's only the good stuff, like the good Queen stuff, yeah. Journey. Um, the cars and everything like it's not it doesn't have like all the nonsense that came yeah, out <laughs> exactly I'm a huge old school hip hop fan and if people are acting like every single person was you know DMX or Biggie or you know Nas or whatever like no there was a lot of crap too there's a lot of people we considered whack back then let's not pretend it's always been golden you're ridiculous but I so so it's just sweeping statements like you know oh superhero genres are vapid they're all the same movie I'm like they're not you're just seeing it through bias you're right. wearing these like filtered goggles you're not actually trying to watch the movie for what for what it is you're too you're too set in your ways right and then i also take umbrage with the fact that he was just like people should go watch my independent films and now i'm paraphrasing what he said but it's just like the problem with independent films and i i like independent films just fine it's just you some of them are just weird and out there and you really don't know what you're gonna get and that's why a lot of people will watch these movies once they come out on DVD or VHS streaming or whatever. And I, I agree that, you know, it would be nice if people went and saw these movies in theaters, but when movie tickets are so expensive, like 
don't get mad at the fan or at people for not watching your movies. Go to your distributor and say, hey, you know, like go to the theaters and say you're charging way too much. Like don't go to the like the consumer, the people that you're trying to get to watch right. your thing and say they're stupid kind of thing. So, yeah. And, hey, and listen, know, some, some indie films suck. Like so if you want to just put it into a genre of drama indie, uh, there's plenty of shitty right. indie drama, you know, just as much as there are shitty superhero movies, you know, they definitely exactly. nobody's exempt. Exactly. So <laughs> getting back <laughs> yes. into this movie, um, there, there, there wasn't a lot that going on for it. So um, basically all three movies also had some variation of this line when they go to pay the hero, whether it's um, Denzel Washington's character Chisholm or Chris played by Yobral or like the Obi-Wan Kenobi. Like I've never been paid. I've been offered a lot for my services, but I've never been given everything mm-hmm. kind of thing. So ultimately like in all three versions, the main guy basically does the job for nothing and in this version i just didn't buy like they go and he gets chris faraday or he gets faraday from chris pratt at from um because he bought his horse and then everybody else just kind of did it did it for free so i didn't really buy the motivation of the characters for this um i did appreciate that at least in this version and in the 1960s version that one character did leave so in this version ethan hawk has like ptsd and so he leaves and then he comes back and kind of like helps save the day so I did like that, you know, Ethan's hot character left in the previous film. It was um, Lucky le- left. Mm-hmm. And that version, we didn't even really talk about that. And in the 1960s version, there's a character who's convinced that they're getting more than $20, that there's actually like treasure in the Mexican yep, town. Right, right, right. And then he he, com- he leaves, comes back, gets killed. And then to make him feel better, Chris tells him, oh, yeah, there was like $70,000 worth of treasure mm-hmm. here, which I kind of like felt like cheapened it. Like it, the whole point is there's supposed Wasn't to be Wasn't that Robert, Robert Vaughn in the original one did that? Wasn't that his character? No, no Robert Vaughn was Lee. I think. Yeah, he, I Robert Vaughn right. was like the... God, who was it in the original? Yeah, I don't remember who this one... It, it, it's just... It, I don't know. I, I didn't buy the motivation of this. And, and this one, I watched this movie first. And when all the actors died, it was like super telegraphed. And we know exactly what killed them. And that's like a modern thing. Yeah. So it, it kind of makes the film goer feel good. Like they know what happened. There's closure for the yeah, character. But it dumbs it down. But I don't... I, I don't know. Like there's there's not a lot of... Like I said, there's not a lot of substance in this movie. There was a lot of great actors in it, and I just don't felt I I don't feel like I felt like it was more like Ocean's Twelve versus Ocean's oh, Eleven. Like yeah. Ocean's Eleven, great. Everybody came, brought their A game. Ocean's Twelve, like everyone kind of phoned it in. And then Ocean's Thirteen got better. That, that's a good comparison. Like in this movie, I feel like it's Ocean's Twelve. They got all these amazing actors, but like none of them really shine. None of them really did much. Yeah. I could see that. Again, I yeah. enjoyed this movie um, as an action film, as like a kind of eye candy um, movie. But I agree with you on pretty much all the points. It, it should have been grittier. I mean, it was a PG thirteen movie, but that I mean, so was the, the original one. Was whatever PG thirteen would have been at that time. Um, so it didn't right. have to be rated R, but it definitely de- feel felt a little I, more yeah, polished. I don't necessarily need rated R. I just felt like it was too clean. Yeah, I get it was that. too pretty. I get that. Uh, and overall, like, and, and don't get me wrong, like, this was a movie I really wanted to see in theaters at the time. You know, I think Denzel is a great actor. I think uh, I, I like Chris Pratt. Uh, I and then seeing Vincent D'Onofrio and Ethan Hawke, like, I expected it to be something great, and it just it fell short. Yeah. Like, it, it's it's a perfectly serviceable movie. Right. Like, it's 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 the I think it's the second long. So this one's like two and a half hours. The 1960s one is like two hours and six minutes. Uh, it doesn't seem that long. Like the movie flowed perfectly fine like the pacing's great i just i don't know i just didn't feel like there was any real charisma to it right and it and it it had hit all the same beats so it had like the knife 
competition. It had the, I've been paid everything. Um, Chris Pratt's character does the same thing. Hey, do you have a sister kind of thing when he's like doing stuff with the kids? Like it literally hit all the same beats. The only thing that's different is a much bigger spectacle battle at the end. And that's just because the budget was. Yes, exactly. It's more visually pleasing in that way. Um, so I think it's safe to say that you you think the 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 Seven Samurai is the best of the three, right? Not like with not like I don't even think it's like a close second on um for me. Like I I, I think Seven Samurai is one of my favorite films. Um, I first saw it when I was like eight or nine years old. I came across this movie. Somebody was watching it. And I watched it with them. Oh, I, wow. Yeah, that, so I was young, and it was there's something about this movie that's significant enough that as an eight or nine year old. It grabbed me, and I was read. I had to read subtitles. That's, that's crazy because a nine-year-old watching a three-hour movie, yeah, three and a half hour that you have to, yeah, read. that I had to read. And like something about it was significant enough that it grabbed my attention. I never forgot it, and I rewatched it when I was a teenager, and then again um, several times as an adult. And there was something about it, even in that initial viewing, that was like I, I just loved it. And and I don't feel like that movie's ever boring. I feel like you could you could jump to any scene in that movie, and. It, you're going to be like, what the fuck's going on? And you're you're watching to figure this movie out. <laughs> I could get bored in Magnificent Seven in either one of those ones, um, but I never got get bored with that original one. There's something about it. Something with the way it filmed, the way the characters, the way the actors, even you know, it's not like modern acting techniques that they're using. It's definitely some of it's even like over the top at times for some of the villagers. But but I think some of that could also be just the language barrier. Like- could be. A lot of the the Asian languages are, you know, have similar words that you know you have to enunciate them differently. Yeah. And maybe like With I, emotion. this is gonna sound terrible, but I had a uh, one of my neighbors growing up. He was my one of my brother's best friends was Chinese American, and his mom like moved here from China when she was like in her forties. Right. And she, you know, we used to go over to his house, and she would talk to him, and it would sound like she was angry and yelling at him, and it was just like she was just asking if we wanted lemonade right, kind right. of thing. It's that the staccato so kind of like, like yeah, it's that it's that the kind of there's an emotion almost in the words and the way they're said. Exactly. Yeah. So it could be that. Like I thought it was a little over the top, but after you know, after you know, an hour and a half or two hours in this movie, I didn't even notice this over the topness yeah. of that movie. You know, it's funny be- kind of because thing. when I said that, what I meant was, um, and it, this appears in some of the other Japanese films I've seen from that time period, specifically Kurosawa films like Akuru. It's actually the despair and the hopelessness of like the villagers right. in the beginning and the crying, it seems the, the sadness that they would convey seemed over the top. I'm right. okay with it. Like I'm like, I, that's not even me being critical of it. I'm just like, that's just how the choice they made. And I'm fine with it. Cause it's very clear. That these people are upset in Akuru. It's like that as well. Um, and, uh, but, but I loved it. There's something about it. Like nothing's boring in that movie. Like I, I'm just like, I'm, I'm with you. Like I'm with you on every, everything that happens right. from the jokes to the funny stuff, to the, the angry stuff, to the battles, to the emotion, to the, just the story playing out. It's just fascinating to me. All right. So I think it's safe for me to say that I, I think the 1960s version is, is, isn't, is not necessarily a necessary remake, but I, I think it adds something to it changes the genre, brings it to a completely different yep. audience. I think the 1960s version is a remake that I think is worthwhile watching, and I think it added something to cinema as a whole. 2016, as much as I wanted to like that movie, I it, it's perfectly serviceable if you've never watched any of the other two, like you know, in terms for like a podcast like this. I think it's it's a perfectly enjoyable film, but in terms of like adding to cinema, I, I don't think it adds much. And I think that's where we'll wrap this up. Nick, tell us where we can. Uh, 
find your podcast, give us all the deets, and I will make sure to link everything below. Okay, so you can. Uh, we're on a million podcast platforms. We're on Apple Pods. Uh, we're on Stitcher. We're on Spotify. A lot of people like to listen to us on Spotify because that's you know everybody's got Spotify these days. So you can uh, look for us there. Uh, you can go directly to our website, get to the movies.com. Um, and all of our episodes are on there. It's basically, we've turned it into one big podcast player these days. So you can just, every episode's on there. You could listen it right through our media player, get to the movies.com. That's with a number two, get, get number two, the movies. Um, our company is get to the movies. So you can even search, get to the movies on any of those platforms. You'll also find us. So get to the podcast or get to the movies. All right. So Nick, once again, thank you for, uh, substituting for our, our host. I really Glad appreciate it. it. Um, everybody check out their podcast. It's great. I've actually been on their show and I had a blast. I actually went back and re-listened to the episode that I appeared on the other day because uh, the Infinity War trailer part two drops and I was on an episode where we were talking about what we thought was going to happen in yep, Infinity War. Right. And uh, I had a blast recording with these guys. So yeah, they're great guys, great podcast. Listen to them. And uh, thank you guys for listening to Remake Rewind. Check out our other podcast, Ruin My Childhood. You can check out everything that's MDX Pods related at mdxpods.com, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at mdxpods. And uh, we also have patreon.com slash mdxpods if you want to support the show. That's it. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.